I'm Warren Hatura, and you're listening to the Positive Fantastic Podcast. In this second episode of the fourth season, I interviewed my friend Stephanie Burrill about her role with the Descriptive Inquiry Institute. In their own words, the Institute uses group processes to describe, look closely at, and reflect upon student and teacher work in order to enhance teacher and school practice. Before we dive further into descriptive inquiry, here's an opening musical piece by Jesse Lee entitled The Rebel.
I'm hanging out today with my friend Stephanie Perrill. We've known each other since we were freshmen in college, so a long time, over 20 years, I think. And we were up at Reed College in Portland, Oregon, and we had a fun, adventurous year together as freshmen. And then I transferred to another college, but I kept going up to visit all my Reedy friends. And Stephanie uh, and I stayed in touch during college. And then she went off to New York and lived in France for a bit. And I also got to... Um, reconnect with her when she moved back to the West Coast in the last several years. So I'm excited to hang out with you today and talk about this process, this educational adventure that you've been on for many years um, as a teacher, uh, diving into greater depth with how to how to embody that position. Thanks, Lori. Uh, and we also <clears throat> both uh, be, ended up becoming cultural anthropology majors. Yay! So it was, it was cool to continue to connect with that. Um, even as you were at Santa Cruz and I was at Reed, we continued to have conversation about um, anthropology. Totally. So Stephanie's been an educator for many years, and actually this past year, I believe it was, I got to be a guest speaker on your, your English as a Second Language classes, which was really sweet, talking about farming and my herd of goats and things. It was really lovely to get to meet your class. So as an educator, you've been working with this process called descriptive inquiry for many years. And I would love if you could flesh out kind of what that looks like and why it's so valuable to you. Awesome. Yeah. So um, currently I am an educator at a public adult school, colonized to Chenua Ohlone land in Union City, California. And I've taught it different, in different settings as well, um, largely in, um, in high school, my background in special education and social studies, but now I'm teaching ESL and uh, college prep. But today I really want to talk about descriptive inquiry. I am also the co-director of the Institute on Descriptive Inquiry, which is a, thank you, it, uh, currently right now, it's a rotating position. Um, and so this is a small but mighty community of educators who work with this practice called descriptive inquiry. And we're basically um, supporting one another um, in continuing uh, to do this work. And descriptive inquiry is a process based in phenomenology, which is a philosophical tradition that basically the basic premise of pheno phenomenology is that when we're thinking about what to do with a problem or an issue, um, we begin with close observation of the reality of what's there. Mm -hmm. um, and as opposed to bringing our model or solution or idea and applying that to the reality and what we're seeing, we mm. try to actually begin with getting as close as possible to the, the reality of what's happening. So for us, that's uh, students and educational settings, um, the people with whom we work. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie, what is descriptive inquiry? So descriptive inquiry is a practice um, that's based in phenomenology, which is a philosophical tradition that is really about looking at what's there when we're coming to um, a, an issue or trying to decide about an action at what's actually there, as opposed to coming with our own ideas about um, what constitutes the problem or how to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So in what that means for us, working with learners of all ages mm -hmm. is to really observe the people we're working with and mm -hmm. try to describe them as a way of trying to get closer to them and think about um, how we can work with them 
towards next steps. Right. So you go back east and you get together with a group of educators annually and you guys have what you call, what you lovingly refer to as adult summer camp. And you practice this together about each other's students or how, do you, how does it work? Yeah, so I call it teacher summer camp um, because it is professional development, but it's a we're a grassroots organization, so we organize um, the conference that what we call the institutes every year ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like a packaged you know deal or we're we're being taught something or offered something. It's really teachers, educators of all different settings and all different levels coming together with their own questions, and mm-hmm. then we use a set of processes have have been developed over the last 50 years, but really began at a small independent school um, in Bennington, Vermont, with a teacher leader named Patricia Carini and the other teachers working at her school. Mm-hmm. And they developed these processes because they had this school called the Prospect School and they were not giving the students grades. So this was nice. an alternative alternative way to not necessarily assess students, but follow um, the young people along their journeys, Mm -hmm. their learning journeys. Awesome. So when you get together, what is, what are some of those processes? What do they look like? What do you, what do you do with the other educators? So one of the, I'll I'll begin with talking about um, a descriptive review. Okay. Which is sort of the maybe the, I don't know, bedrock process process that is a longer process, but it's really about looking at one person Mm -hmm. um, that we're working with and spending some time describing them in depth. The founders have given us, of of Descriptive Inquiry, gave us five categories under which we can use like as headings to think about a person Mm -hmm. and describe them. So the first is physical presence and gesture. So just observing closely how a, a person moves in a space, all sorts of things, you know, what they do when they talk, uh, the sound of their voice, the volume, mm-hmm. their facial expressions in different situations, and then, you know, relationships with others, um, talking in depth about who they're gravitating to in, in the room, if we're thinking about a classroom or mm-hmm. close relationships in their family, strong interests and preferences, disposition and temperament, which is about larger, sort of a more about their feelings, but also how they react in the world, in different situations, how they see themselves in in different worlds or different spaces, and modes of thinking and learning, what questions they're really um, motivated by or interested in in the classroom, what materials they're interested in working in, how how they work on solving problems, for example. And so the presenter who is who has a question about a child or how to support a child mm-hmm. will work with a chair to frame this question prior to a session mm-hmm. and probably meet with a chair who's really supportive to you know again draw out what is this question you have about um, the learner that you're working with to draw that out in the hopes of better being able to serve the student right yeah it's always um, yeah this is a very child-centered process yeah. uh, it, but it also is a form of, of teacher development, of course, right? right, right. Because um, we're reflecting on our own practice in the process. But yeah, to, of course, always uh, always with the intention of better being able to work with a, a learner towards their, towards their own goals. Mm-hmm. And so then the presenter will spend some time observing 
observing, closely observing a child in a classroom. And when we're talking about observation, it's not it's not evaluative and it's not judgmental. And we try as much as possible to um, keep our own biases at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's always going to be subjective, right? Because we're we're observing with our in our own bodies with our own perspectives and so we're not we're not we don't say it's objective but I think objectivity is a totally different apparatus that's really been used and as it's not clinical in that way it's it's not yeah it's humanistic it's more social science than applied science it's developmental for you the educator and also with the intent to serve the student yeah absolutely and right so I feel that it's important to make that distinction because mm-hmm. our goal is not objectivity. I mean, objectivity, I think, has been used as a, as an excuse or, you know, the, the, the idea that we can't even be objective has been used often in education to sort children, you know, standardized tests totally. uh, are, right. are said to be objective, but they're not really objective at all, at right. all. They're culturally biased. So we're not going for objectivity, but we're really trying to just be descriptive. Mm-hmm. as much as possible so think about how describing what we see mm-hmm. in words that that are stay very close to just what we see mm-hmm. you know or what we hear and i would add what we feel um in relation to a person we are bringing our own feelings in but being descriptive with the goal of painting a picture of who this person is in as much of their complexity as we can capture in a limited amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. But looking at them from all these different perspectives, which is not always the mainstream of what happens in education. Right. It's an alternative method to to achieving a connection. Absolutely. I mean, that is the ultimate goal, is to grow closer to a learner mm-hmm. through the time we spend to, you know, we spend this time just with the goal of seeing this person more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, that makes sense. All of that process that you just described happens before you ever get in the room to actually do the descriptive inquiry, right? That's right. So that's the preamble. That's the like, we have a student we'd like to connect with more. This is our own first kind of personal inquiry (laughs) to get to a place to do descriptive inquiry in the group setting. Well, that is a part of the descriptive inquiry work uh-huh. that we're doing is the preparation that the teacher does through observation, mm-hmm. daily observation in the classroom right, right. or in the educational setting for any amount of time leading up to the actual meeting with other people. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense that you'd have to really drop in and be observing the student and feeling into what that's going to be like. And then and then you meet in the group and you take it on this to this other level. What's that level like? Right. So the group gets together and in when we're meeting in Amherst and during the summer, Mm -hmm. the group will be made up of people from who aren't working with that same same young person or if it's adult learner, they're not working with that same person. Right. Right. So they don't know this person. Of course. So they're meeting in this. We meet in this group and let's say there are seven or 10 other educators, you know, in the group along Mm -hmm. with the presenter Mm -hmm. and the chair. And basically the presenter reads what they have written about the the young person Uh with this full narrative report that they write based on their observations. Okay. 
And then people ask clarifying questions. And then people give feedback on uh, recommendations in response to the focusing questions that the presenter and the, the chair have worked together to create. And also sometimes we'll also look at student work alongside this. So it depends how much time we have to work on the spanning. When we're in during the summer, we have the benefit of having that time. So a spanning study of a, um, a learner could last three days. Oh, wow. um, and so each day we'll look at a different aspect. We'll do different processes mm-hmm. to look at, for example, some of their, their work, whether that's written work or artistic work, all with the goal of coming to know the person better mm-hmm. and to help the educator think about next steps and um, give them recommendations for how they can move forward in supporting the learner. How to better help the student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's learner and educator, kind of the two, the two people, educators bringing their observations and their narrative of the learner to this group process to do descriptive inquiry. And that can last days. That's amazing. That's an in-depth study of, or an in-depth inquiry, I should say, because it is probably just things arise out of that. It's not fixed. It's not projecting your own things onto it. It's really like, what is here and what can we do to better serve? How can I be of service and what does this student need? Absolutely. And also we're not driving towards one answer. Um, And sometimes there's actually other questions that come out of the work. And so it really is inquiry in that sense. And um, sometimes staying with the question is actually the most important part. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's uh, it's communal uh, knowledge production Mm -hmm. from people bringing their own experiences, multiple perspectives. Right. I like that it's not just the educator that is connecting with that learner, that it's actually a lot of people who don't have eyes on the situation that are kind of having their own diverse perspectives that they're bringing to these focused questions to inquire. And it's really amazing because, as you noted, three days is a lot of time to spend looking at one person. And so you can imagine, you know, shining, everybody shining their light on that that learner um, for that length of time in a really focused way, um, in a way that's supported by the structure of these processes. It's almost transpersonal. There's a way that, you know, you're focusing on this educator helping this learner, but in that inquiry, I'm sure there's so much that can be applied to other people in other situations with other educators that are helping other learners. You know, there's just having that kind of open-minded process of inquiry lends itself well to really helping one become a more well-rounded educator that really is in service to a broader range of students in a way, because so much of, you know, what we are as growing, evolving humans are trying to do is to figure out how do we look at things from a new perspective? Because there are, like you said, standardized testing has proven itself to not be helpful, (laughs) in my opinion, you know, as a quote unquote objective uh, barometer. It's like, what about these subjective experiences? What about real people are going to school? Like I have a 16 year old right now who's in school and he actually just decided to do an independent study program as opposed to continuing at the local high school because he did not feel that the educators were in his court. He didn't feel like anybody was giving him focused attention. He um, And he found that in sharp contrast to the previous school he went where the educator was absolutely focused on him and shining her light on him and absolutely in attention to the entire class. And I know that one of the practices of, he was at a Waldorf a charter school, and one of the practices of Waldorf charter 
teachers is to really hold that for all of their students to really feel into each night, actually, before they go to sleep, how can I best serve? You know, in her, in my son's case, it would be Osiris, but it's with each student. It's not that, that it's just one. It's that how do I really feel into what does this child need? And that to me is a much more interesting question in the state of the world that we have today in education. How can we serve this student rather than how can we project our standardized notions of objective learning onto everyone without really feeling into what needs to happen? So I'm really excited that this is something that you're doing. I know every time we've hung out for years, you've been so excited about this. And so I'm starting to understand more about why it's so compelling to you. Yeah, it's really amazing. And I'm really glad Osiris had that experience at his Waldorf, Waldorf school. And sometimes it certainly is hard. It feels hard to make the time, um, depending on, you know, your school setting. It sounds like there the teachers were supported in making the time to have that practice where they were reflecting on individual young people and the relationship, their supportive uh, relationship with, with, the, with um, each learner. Oftentimes I, I just I hear people say who are coming to descriptive inquiry newly, like how do we possibly make the time to do this with every single learner? Right, right. And the fact of the matter is we don't have that time normally, no. but even just spending that time with one person, mm -hmm. I, I think it does a few things. One is in, it slows us down and it brings us into a different relationship, I think, with education and our role in yes. general. And so we talk about developing a sort of stance in the classroom mm -hmm. where we're not, maybe not reacting as quickly, but also, yeah, not trying to bring our own preconceived notions, you know, developing a different way to respond that's a little bit more flexible, a little bit more malleable, not mm -hmm. so quick to jump to conclusions, really listening and observing and centering the people that we're working with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sort of stance and positioning in the classroom develops through doing this work, even if you're not able to look at every single young person or person you're working with with that same amount of time. It's, it is right. about cult part of our, our processes really do cause us to slow down and think, think with and alongside in a different way. Mm -hmm. fascinating and uh, exciting that there is this process that's happening. And part of reaching out of what has been into what could be is looking at things from a different perspective. And the processes that you just described are just some of the things that one does at the descriptive inquiry, you know, summer camp. <laughs> I love, I love the concept of having a deeper reach into what is needed really, from a, from a more subjective perspective of who are you actually on the ground with the students that you actually have and what's actually going on for them. Because part of what is really happening is that we're having all these crises in education. Like you said, the standardized testing, there's the every child left behind is kind of like the alternative reading of Bush's legislation that created, you know, these standardized tests. I mean, my son's super dyslexic, so 
it was always just like, oh, do I really have to take this test again? Like, I feel like he's incredibly brilliant in a hands-on applied sense that does not come through at all in a standardized test. But if you could talk him through something, he would shine. And so I'm like, here you are. These are other methods to really figure out how can you shine your light on this student, this learner? Yeah. And I'm, you, you describe it so beautifully because I think what happens is when we take the time to sit with and describe and look at uh, a person and we don't have the pressures of measuring them up against somebody's standard or somebody's rubric, we can, we, what always happens in this process is that everybody in the room comes out with so much more appreciation for mm -hmm. who that person is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just get so interested. And the more we spend time with a description of that person and their work, the more we want to spend time and mm -hmm. um, the more their strengths come through. And it's not like we're really trying to think in that dichotomy of like, oh, we're looking for the good things or we're, you know, we're not working in the, the dichotomy of grows and glows, but it also just happens. It's like when you spend time really non-judgmentally opening yourself up to really look at a person closely, it, it just opens you up in a way where you see the possibilities right. and you do celebrate. So yeah, that's a huge part of descriptive inquiry and something I've experienced myself. Um, so, so we, we don't have to bring a problem when we're looking at a, um, a learner. Oftentimes that does happen where folks will choose to bring a student that they're having a difficulty with, whether that's interpersonal or a challenge in the classroom academically. And again and again, people say that the process helps them build a stronger bond with that, that person. Of course. And it's almost like magic, right? But it's not magic. Sometimes it's just because we're paying more attention. Yeah. We're trying to pick up on the smaller details. We might enter more into conversation to try to get more information. Mm -hmm. And it's simply that turning towards rather than sort of the implicit, you know, turning against that comes with judgment, that comes with the deficit model, that comes of, with when we're just looking for what isn't there. Right. That turning towards creates the bond that's the bridge that can allow us to be in a different relationship of, of like you said, service. Totally. Because, I mean... It the sense that we have to perceive our surroundings from a place of connection as the goal rather than, I mean, it is a really truly huge pivot to like, I'm turning towards connecting with this learner as opposed to I'm, you know, an underpaid teacher who's not supported by her school district largely because they're not supported by the government in order to create a real opportunity for learning to happen in an interesting and creative way. It's so rare <laughs> to have those things all come together. I mean, there are some alternative schools and there are some, you know, people that work their way through. And, and like you are an educator at a public institution that is serving your learners. So it happens. But I, I feel like it's part of who you are as your identity as an educator that you've really spent the time to do this developmental training every year for the last 13 years. And that most people are just surfeit with like the pressures and stresses of teaching that they can't even consider more engagement. But really part of that is because there's a lack of opportunity. There's not a lack of opportunity. There's a lack of 
sponsorship for this kind of inquiry. The subjective role that teachers are playing is so huge because it is a different classroom every time. There are different people that you're engaging with every time. And the more that we treat children like cattle that are just coming through to get, you know, branded with their diploma, like pardon my metaphors, but I was an unschooler for a long time because I feel that education is a lifelong beautiful thing. It's something that we should be excited about learning, you know, and we don't want to kill that. We don't want to train that out of students. We want learners to be able to thrive in whatever it is that they want to learn about. Really, for the most part, you know, <laughs> that's the actual goal of education. And there's all these other overlays that we have as a society to try to train people. But my experience as a substitute teacher for the last several months is that those largely those children are not getting the education that we're even purporting to have. The standardized education that is supposed to be happening isn't really coming through for most of those students. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of a moving through process of, you know, and, and for my my purposes of just like, I don't know these, I'm like, my inquiry is like, how can I be a kind person in the room on any given day for someone? Because the world is hard. The world yeah. is hard for children right now. And so I just love that you're part of this organization that is doing this and is creating this, you know, this is a thing that can be done. This is an alternative idea that could totally take hold in all schools. It could be something that everybody could have access to. Well, it is a very accessible um, set of processes. It does require time. And we always, you know, I, I think in schools, there's a lot of, there's a drive for quick solutions. Yeah. Right. And, and this is not a quick solution. And it's not also something that immediately can be quantified in terms of the results. Right. It requires a certain trust and faith in the process and the trust and faith of, in, in educators, right? And other community members who come to participate in this process. Yeah. But as long as there's the space and the time and some sort of folks who have been doing these processes that can understand the philosophy and the principles and can help guide it. Mm -hmm. uh, it really is accessible. Anybody can jump in. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I love about the processes is that we come to the the circle. Anybody can come. So we have folks who, you know, have PhDs in education and who are retired teachers who have a ton of experience. Right. And they enter into the circle in the same way as a first year teacher could. Mm -hmm. And everybody has the same amount of time. We, we, we go in rounds. So there's a question or there's a, a step in the process and everybody's participating. Not hierarchically. It's not hierarchical. We go in rounds. Nice. Sort of like a restorative justice circle in that way. Yes. Yes. Um, and you can pass, you know, but, it, and we, sometimes we time, if we were timing, everybody would have the same amount of time. Yeah. And in the end, we've collectively generated that knowledge. Mm -hmm. But something else you said that I think is really important is about centering humanity mm -hmm. and bringing back that back to the center of education, which I think is really what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like an obvious <laughs> angle to work in education. And, you know, and I'm not blaming any particular person. I feel like the educators that are out there are doing their very best to work within a system that is very broken. And, you know, and students are doing their very best to deal with a world that is very hard that they're being handed. So it's, it's all around a kind of a complex moment in time. But I do feel like when you have things that are clearly not working, it also gives rise to what could be different. And so here is a possible solution to creating more connection. 
in a in a way that could be really holistically done in schools in America and maybe in other places, but you know, really that's where we are. And so that's yeah, exciting. absolutely. And it is it is soul work for us when we and this is part of why I call it teacher summer camp, because we we're gathering together in community, we're spending this time really lovingly looking at questions about practice and questions about young people and I keep saying young people, but learners of all ages and and their life and who they are in the world. But it really is soul work. And I think that's why it feels so different. You know, why I have committed to making the the time in my summers, which I, I love to travel, you know, so to, to commit to two weeks every summer is sort of in the middle of the summer, you know, I've done Big that for 13 years. Yeah. For me, that was, it just speaks to like how important this place was for for thinking about for for being in community with other educators in working with a process based in philosophy and not just something being you know another thing being thrown another tool being thrown at me that I'm expected to use in the classroom but doesn't really feed me and my soul and my job as relational work and mm-hmm. this really does i think that's one way i feel like it's different from other other tools that are being used in schools right now Thus far, you've shared about a couple different processes that are used in the descriptive inquiry world. What are some of the other modalities or some of the other processes that you guys use to connect to students, to learners? Yeah, so I basically described the descriptive review. We have a a book of other processes that have been written, written down. And so I'll share a few of my favorites that I think might be interesting for your listeners because they could be used in other settings, Mm -hmm. not just with educators. I actually use some of them in my classroom with learners and it's really fun. So one is called reflection on a word. And so we'll take a word that somehow um, relates to an issue that we're talking about or perhaps it's a word that resonates or is coming up in some student work that we're going to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a word that a presenter is using in a focusing question. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, an entry into the inquiry by focusing on this one word and trying to kind of unpack what are the connotations or how is this word used in our cultural milieus. It's an entry point into this reflection. So, for example, uh, Let's say we were going to reflect on the word positive, since for a positive, positive fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. So what are we going to do is we'd be sitting around the circle, and you'd say, okay, we're going to reflect on the word positive, thinking about any associations, any times this word comes up for you, what you think about when you hear the word positive, maybe the titles of songs or books that has that contain the word positive. And then you give people a certain amount of time, a small amount of time, because everybody's going to share and otherwise it will go on for hours. So let's right. say you give everybody two, two minutes. Mm-hmm. Some people will think about etymology. Some people will, you know, I, people's mind will go in different places and you go around the circle and you share everything people have come up with mm-hmm. after this two minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. And certain ideas will be repeated and that's okay because it shows that these ideas are particularly strong mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. our particular world right that we're in and yeah and then the chair will do something we call pulling threads which is basically synthesizing what they've heard Uh, not just repeating but sort of drawing themes out and that's just a way to kind of bring the members in the group to another level of understanding and then we'll launch into the other piece of our inquiry 
So that's reflection on a word. Another process that I really love is called recollections. In this process, um, people will share stories based in response to a prompt and we'll each have a set amount of time to share a story and we'll go around the circle. Mm-hmm. And this might be, for example, let's say I'm working with a learner who is particularly shy when it comes to um, connecting with people mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think about ways to support them. Uh, I might ask people to reflect on a time where they felt particularly shy and mm-hmm. what came, what was the situation, who was involved, what was the environment, mm-hmm. what were some of the contributing factors, how did they feel, mm-hmm. and what became of that situation. And then we might begin this session with sharing the stories that we've reflected on. Mm-hmm. And then again, the chair would synthesize some of the common themes. And that will be a way to kind of create empathy as we mm-hmm. go into our inquiry, but also maybe give us some ideas moving forward. Um, right. As we you know, understand and try to look at them, you know, the learner that we're looking at in their particular situation. Mm-hmm. Today's PSA is about descriptive inquiry. <laughs> so if people have made it thus far and they're like, wow, that sounds amazing. How can they get more involved or how uh, what information is out there for people that are interested in potentially adding this to their own repertoire as an educator or someone who's just really curious about this subject? Yeah, so we are called the Institute on Descriptive Inquiry. So you can find us online if you just do a Google search. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And I also want to say that we are also open to, you know, parents and guardians Mm -hmm. who might be interested in bringing this work into the educational settings of their young people. Mm-hmm. in addition to educators in all different settings. So mm-hmm. please come check us out if you're interested in exploring a non-evaluative way to support teachers and young people in community. The Institute's over 50 years old? That's right. Fantastic. been talking a lot about how educators use these different processes and one of the things that you do is that you look at a question that you have in your own practice as an educator. You want to talk about how that unfolds in the descriptive inquiry process? Sure, I can give an example of that. A few years ago I presented a spanning study that I was looking at my work with a feminist club at our school Then at the time I was working at a Catholic uh, women's, young women's plus school. And the students there had approached me about starting the feminist club. And I had some concerns about whether or not I was supporting the young people in feminist consciousness raising, what Mm -hmm. uh, Paolo Freire calls conscientization and was what was actually coming out of this, this group. And so I brought this question to our annual gathering, right. and we spent three days with a group of educators looking at different artifacts from the Feminist Club and students who were part of the Feminist Club. So we read some student writing, we listened to a recording of one of our meetings, and uh, closely described what the young people were saying during that meeting. And as a part of that, I also presented an educational autobiography of my own life. 
And at the end, the recommendations really reflected back to me what was happening in the feminist club and why that space was important. And I came out more confident in in the the knowledge that the work was happening and the young people were doing that work. Yeah. And yeah. it was it was important. It was good work. And it was so it's really like having people hold a mirror back to you. Because when you're inside it, it's hard to see, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a, a great experience. Another example, a specific example, I'll just give from from a studies that I've been a part of. I also this summer brought a piece of student work from my ESL class. Mm-hmm. And this student was someone I already had a close relationship with. And we closely read a page of her writing and particular student um, hadn't been to high school in the country where she was born and there wasn't a lot of you know punctuation in her writing it was heavily punctuated with emojis Uh and in some places might be difficult for some folks to understand and so my question was really about how do I support how do I give her supportive feedback yeah what came out of that process was one which is it just really stayed with me the people in that room ended up loving my student after spending about mm-hmm. an hour and a half reading closely her work yeah and they also told me things about her that were true that you know they they hadn't i hadn't described her i hadn't given a lot of information about her mm-hmm. but they really felt like they knew her and they were excited about her mm-hmm. and they wanted to know more about her just from spending that time closely reading her work. So they weren't looking at it as a problem. They weren't seeing all the errors. They actually were able to bring up all that was there Mm -hmm. and she was there. And that was one of, that's one of the tenets of descriptive inquiry is that the hand of the maker is in the work. Mm -hmm. And so, and then they also gave me recommendations in response to my question about how to support her some of which I kind of knew, you know, were good practice, but I had forgotten. And some new ideas as well mm-hmm. that helped me think about how do I support her in her writing going forward, but also other students as well. Mm-hmm. In addition to summer camp, you have other opportunities throughout the year to get together and do some of this work. Where does where does this work happen outside of the summer camp? Yeah, so actually the work ideally will happen, ideally it would happen in someone's educational setting with other educators who are working with that young person or working mm-hmm. with that learner. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes the parents as well will be part of that circle or a counselor, right. an advisor, so this is how the processes originally developed at the the school I mentioned, the prospect school, where the teachers would come together around the circle and that would be like their staff meeting, right? They would have, mm-hmm. do a descriptive process of a, of a group uh, of a student's work or a question that a teacher was bringing about the practice at the educational site itself. So that can happen in schools. For our group, we also have some descriptive inquiry groups that are happening locally in New York and in um, the Los Angeles area that meet where teachers from any school can come and bring their questions or bring a question about student work and the descriptive mm-hmm. processes happen mm-hmm. in, that, in that environment, in that setting. 
In addition, we've been meeting as a philosophy group to read texts that we think can help us expand our, our philosophical canon, canon and basis for thinking about this work. Yeah. And that's cool because here we're using the processes to look at literature. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what descriptive process looks like when you're reading a text. And so this could also be for a piece of student work, or it could also be for a book in a phil philosophical text. Right now we're reading right. Freedom Dreams by Robin D.J. Kelly. And so how do we use the processes when we're looking at a text? So basically we do something called close reading where we'll take a passage that we're interested in focusing on. We'll read the passage out loud a couple times. And then our rounds, the first round, this is probably the most esoteric thing that we do in descriptive inquiry. It's called paraphrasing. We'll actually go line by line in the text and replace each word with another word that has a similar, a similar meaning. And in doing that, as we're listening to everyone do the paraphrasing, it's almost like turning the text inside out mm -hmm. um, because the words that people choose to replace the phrases on the text might not be the word we have chosen or it, it causes us to slow down, look closely and think about what is the real meaning of each of these words that we see. Mm -hmm. And so we do that first round um, for the entire passage. Mm -hmm. Then we'll go back and do some more literal description where we'll look at the text and describe, again, just without interpretation, just sticking to description. We'll describe things we notice about sentence structure, about um, repetition of words, about where punctuation is, just how the words actually look in the text, on the page. If we were doing this for a artistic piece of work, we might be describing line and um, color and composition, right? Mm -hmm. So this is literal description, again, without assigning our own interpretation or any value judgments. Then we'll do another round where we go through the text and get a little bit more interpretive. We might make connections between what we're reading here in this text to other things we've read in the larger text. If we've read, if we, we've read more of the work that the passage comes from, mm -hmm. we might begin to pose questions about the author's intention. And finally, we'll come back to our focusing question, if there is a focusing question, and thinking about um, this, this text. So we're doing this with uh, philosophy. It really is an amazing process. It helps us get deeper into the into a text. And mm -hmm. I think this shows another sort of principle of descriptive inquiry, which is that we can understand, uh, looking at the particular helps us understand the whole. Mm. Yeah. So it can be applied in a lot of different ways in a lot of different contexts. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, again, making the time, if you, if you can make the time in school settings, it will generate, it can generate a lot of, a lot of rewards, including sort of a the bond, the community bonding of having this shared experience where we're slowing down together to look together mm -hmm. and, and the community that creates and the culture that creates in a school. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being on the show, Stephanie. I really appreciated getting to hear about descriptive inquiry and the ways that it's helped transform your own life as an educator and the ways that it has the potential to be a tool for all educators and parents and moving forward into a way of connection as a as a general theme and motif of 
our lives. Uh, I really, I really appreciate what you shared. Thanks so much for the opportunity to speak about descriptive inquiry on your show. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. I'm Maureen Natura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, www.maureennatura.com. You can read about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to www.maureennatura.com slash thepositivefantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries describing each episode. I'm on social media and you can follow me on Facebook on my page Maureen Natura Author. You can follow me on Instagram at Author Maureen Natura. You can also follow my TikTok handle at Maureen Natura. You can visit the Institute website for more information about descriptive inquiry at https colon slash sites.google.com slash IDI process.org slash IDI. Check out my channel at youtube.com slash to see videos related to the podcast episodes, including a short teaser of Stephanie for this episode. Special appreciation to Jessie Lee of Hera Has a Heart for sharing her songs on season four of the podcast. You can find her music at herahasaheart.bandcamp.com on Instagram at Hera Has a Heart, Facebook at Jessie Lee. This episode of The Positive Fantastic has been brought to you on the cross-quarter celebration of Bridget between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Cheers, and may we all be able to learn and grow and help each other. <laughs>